Chapter Seventeen of the World's Lumber Room by Selina Gay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen: Household Refuse. Nature's scavengers are not perfect, but the result of their labours on the whole is that where nature is left to herself, not only is nothing wasted, but refuse of all kinds is so speedily disposed of that we seldom come across anything to disgust either sight or sense of smell. Where man comes on the scene, indeed, the case is different. But nature can no more be expected to dispose of his refuse for him than to feed and clothe him and provide for his other wants, though he oftentimes leaves a great deal to her, and owes her, as Miss Staveley reminds us, always far more than he is generally aware of. Certainly in the matter of scavenging, man does not compare favourably with nature, for she knows nothing of the accumulations of filth and rubbish with which he is puzzled to deal, and after watching her labourers at their work, it is rather humiliating to glance at a dust-yard and be compelled to own, as one must, that she manages matters in a much neater and altogether less offensive way than we do. Throughout the East, scavenging, even in the towns and villages, is left chiefly to her good offices, as we have seen, and many a village on the hills about the Bosphorus owes such cleanliness as it possesses to the occasional heavy falls of rain. In Ceylon, the Shandalas, who belonged to the lowest caste, were degraded to the office of scavengers and carriers of corpses. And in the legends of Buddha, the Chandala is represented as one born in the open air, his parents not being possessed of a roof. He lies among the pots when his mother goes to cut firewood. And, says Manu, he can never be relieved from bondage or emancipated by a master. In 437 BC, the Nietzsche Chandalas are specially named as cemetery men. But a couple of centuries later, cremation had been introduced, and their services were no longer required in the cemeteries. Not very much above the Chandala in the social scale come the Paris Chiffonniers, who form a class as much apart from the rest of the community as if they were separated by the laws of caste. The chiffonnier, or ragman, no more confines his attention exclusively to rags than the dustman does to genuine dust. He is a by no means romantic or attractive-looking individual, and it is difficult at first sight to understand why he should be such a favourite character with French novelists, and how he acquired the halo of romance which surrounds him at the present day. According to the popular legend, Every chiffonnier is a nobleman, or at least a gentleman, in disguise, or perhaps a learned professor who has met with reverses, or has other reasons for shunning the society of his equals. But the chiffonnier would never have held this position in the public imagination had he, like the dustman, pursued his unsavoury occupation in broad daylight. It is his little dark lantern and the fact that he does not emerge from his place of retirement until nightfall, which have combined to make him such an object of mystery and interest. Like his Italian brother, and like most of the scavengers employed by nature, he appears with the owls and bats, prowls about in the deserted silent streets at the most unearthly hours, 
and when the sun rises he vanishes into his own quarter of the city and is seen no more till night returns again we who are accustomed to seeing the dust-carts on their daily rounds may well wonder what the chiffonnier can find in the streets to fill his wicker basket and our wonder will increase when we learn that according to the official returns seven thousand and fifty men and women make their living in this way in paris and earn some of them as much as three francs a day the fact is that as regards its scavenging the elegant city of paris has not hitherto been much in advance of constantinople or cairo all the dust and refuse of the houses were simply thrown out into the street footnote this was also the case in rome until of late years End footnote, where the chiffonnier rummaged in it at his leisure with an iron hook or a stick having a crooked nail at the end carrying off all that he could in any way turn to account and leaving only the refuse of the refuse to be cleared away by the carts or devoured by rats hundreds of which may be seen running about the streets in all directions late at night of late however he has been thrown into great consternation by an order from the prefect of the city who considers that it would be more conducive to health and cleanliness if the dust of each house were collected in some receptacle and put outside in the morning to be emptied into the dust-carts when they make their rounds this plan is followed in boulogne and several british towns and has great advantages over the system of dustbins since the refuse is removed daily before it has time to decay and become injurious and as the dustmen have merely to empty the tub or box the dust of a whole street can be carried away in the time which it now takes them to empty a few dustbins however paris has raised a great outcry against the new regulation for reasonable as it is it means little less than ruin to the poor chiffonnier when the dust is simply thrown into the street he can poke about in it easily and soon pick out all that he cares to take but if it were all collected in a deep tub or such like receptacle it would be long before he could ascertain what treasures might be hidden in its depths and could make sure that he was not leaving anything valuable behind and then worse than all the time for making these minute investigations would not be allowed him for the dust would not be put out of the houses until the morning and the carts would come and take it away before he had even a chance of completing his search the chiffonnier's principal treasures are bones rags paper scraps of copper sardine cases and other tins and broken glass and of these two hundred weights about one hundred kilos of bones bring him four francs the same weight of paper from one to five francs according to the quality woollen rags forty francs copper eighty francs tins three francs white glass six francs and green bottle glass one franc twenty centimes or about a shilling footnote a franc is worth ninepence halfpenny of english money End footnote cigar ends are also carefully collected and converted into regie cigarettes money jewellery and the like he is expected to give up to the concierge or porter of the house opposite which he has found it and he bears a high character for honesty in this respect the sardine and other tins of which such thousands are thrown away go to support a branch of industry which is deeply interesting to the youthful part of the population 
for after being stamped into shape by machines of simple construction they reappear in the form of countless armies of tin soldiers which are sold at prices so low that the manufacturer could not possibly afford to buy his raw material new from the tin man rag-picking is a calling which any one is free to pursue but still the fraternity have their rules and regulations and are divided into well-marked ranks lowest of all are the biffins or chineurs who are half desperados and half amateurs people who are something else by day and go out fortune-seeking in a random irregular way at night they are not in favour with the other chiffonniers for they either do not know or do not respect the customs of the society and being apt to encroach on other people's rights are looked upon as bunglers and dabblers a disturbing element in fact calculated to throw the well-regulated machinery of the body out of gear the rouleurs are more respectable than these and have each their own particular districts in which they make their rounds they do not trespass on their neighbour's property and expect to have their own hunting-grounds treated with equal respect the placiers occupy the highest rank of all and as the aristocrats of the brotherhood have the privilege of overhauling the dust before it is turned out into the street the concierge who knows them well and treats them with benevolent condescension allows them even to come into the house and pick the dust over undisturbed a placier will visit from ten to thirty houses in this way and in return for the indulgence shown him will fetch water or do any other little service for the concierge his place is worth something in a wealthy neighbourhood and when he retires from the business he sells it to his successor who makes his first appearance with him one sunday morning in a tidy suit of clothes and is formally introduced to all the concierge on his beat and is recommended to their kind consideration it is said that some placiers have paid as much as one thousand francs for their business besides the chiffonnier of these three classes there are above them again the contractors who buy the refuse of them have it sorted by day labourers and then sell it again in large quantities there are about a hundred such contractors in paris and of these four or five turn over millions of francs in the course of the year many are very wealthy and all soon become well-to-do there is a certain monsieur berton who has made himself conspicuous in the paris elections since eighteen sixty eight by offering himself as a candidate printing his addresses on rose-coloured paper and promising prosperity to mankind in general and the parisians in particular if only they will give him a seat in the chamber of deputies or on the municipal council this gentleman was for twenty years a dust contractor and retired from the business when still comparatively young with a yearly income of sixty thousand francs two thousand and forty pounds earned for him by the rouleurs and placiers the chiffonniers live in certain streets which are occupied by members of the fraternity only the best known of these is rue mouffetard on the left bank of the seine but there are also large colonies at montrouge montmartre and la villette and everywhere their habitations look more like gypsy camps than anything else their huts are built of the most extraordinary materials the walls being either of kneaded mud or like those of the ancient lake-dwellers of wattle filled in with clay 
a carriage wheel often does duty for a window the spaces between the spokes being covered with oiled paper and the roof consists of tarpaulin or at best of pieces of roofing paper patched together some few buildings are constructed of brick gypsum or wooden spars but these are owned only by the very prosperous great cleanliness is of course out of the question considering the nature of the goods which are piled up in and around the huts until they are sold but the chiffonnier is personally less dirty than might be expected and his health is as good as that of other poor people most of the fraternity have been chiffonnier all their lives for the calling is hereditary in certain families and has been so for so many generations that the chiffonnier form a distinct caste speaking as mr simmond says not a word of real french they have to work hard making usually two journeys every night from the outskirts to the heart of the city they have to turn night into day and to carry heavy loads and they must go out whatever the weather may be but if their earnings are but moderate they are at all events regular and much more certain than those of many callings which rank far higher in the public estimation they are always on very good terms with the police and though they may be said to be almost outside the pale of civilization are usually of no religion and live and die without having any very certain civil standing still crimes are almost unknown among them and they are some of the most peaceable and orderly inhabitants of the unquiet city of paris they have never taken any part in the frequent revolutions they kept tranquil during the commune and it is said went their nightly rounds and calmly picked their dust heaps even during that fearful week in eighteen seventy one when one part of the beautiful city was in flames and versaillists and communards were fighting like savages in other quarters in england we have no one who at all answers to the chiffonnier but we have the rag bone and bottle man the rabbit and hare-skin man the hawker who takes old clothes and old acts in exchange for pots of flowers and crockery and we are told that there are nearly a thousand persons who make their living by selling second-hand articles in the streets of london alone much might be said on the subject of old clothes the largest dealers in which do so large a trade that they are known as merchants and export their goods to all parts of the world long before the french revolution it was an established custom that there should be an annual sale at the tuileries of all the discarded garments belonging to the royal family the proceeds of which were ostensibly given to the poor the practice was revived by the empress josephine and continued through all the various changes of dynasty until the establishment of the present republic a long gallery in the basement of the palace looking into the garden was fitted throughout its whole length with oak wardrobes which were usually well filled in the course of the year when the time for the sale came the shutters were closed the gallery was brilliantly lighted up and visitors were admitted by invitation cards issued by the attendants of the queen or empress every article was ticketed with its price from which of course there was no deviation but the chief part was generally bought up by the valets and women of the wardrobe and they disposed of all that remained unsold to the great dealers who again sold the goods to their customers at immense prices 
many are the vicissitudes of old clothes many are the hands through which they pass whether given away or sold and with every change they drop a little lower in the social scale becoming shabbier and shabbier until at last when they will hold together no longer they are sold as rags and forthwith enter upon a fresh career the trade in old clothes is almost entirely in the hands of jews whose great mart is in houndsditch some articles are sold just as they are others are mended patched translated and made to look like new the skirts of a coat being the part least worn are easily converted into children's clothes but old black cloth always has a certain value even when too far gone to make miniature waistcoats or knickerbockers france takes the best of it to make up into caps and that which is still more threadbare is bought up for the same purpose by russia and poland the black velvet waistcoats still worn as best by certain classes are converted into skull-caps for german and polish jews the bulk of our old clothes goes to holland and ireland but the vast majority of the scarlet coats worn by officers in the army are said to find their way to the annual fair held at leipzig regimentals smart liveries robes of office etc are greatly admired by the natives of the west coast of africa and many of them are therefore dispatched thither but the red tunics of the british infantry are chiefly bought by the dutch who make them into under waistcoats which are worn next to skin by every careful working man since they are believed to be effectual in keeping off rheumatism a matter of no small importance in their watery country footnote until recently soldiers have been allowed to dispose of old uniforms as they pleased and have been careful of their clothes accordingly knowing that the better their condition the better price they would fetch at aldershot the old clothes dealers used to drive a very satisfactory trade but disused uniforms have now to be returned in accordance with an order to that effect to the authorities End footnote the grey overcoats of the infantry are sold at the cape and in our own agricultural districts where they are bought especially by the shepherds the heavier and more valuable cloaks of the artillerymen are bought by the dutch and holland and ireland together are the purchasers of all the police uniforms a hat is an article which possesses a certain value as long as it will hold together and keep any shape at all and it is wonderful what may be done with a battered old chimney-pot by means of cutting down relining brown paper glue rabbit fur dye and varnish by judicious treatment the old hat may be made to look for a time at least like a smart new one and as long as it is worn only in fine weather the purchaser will no doubt congratulate himself on his bargain but the first shower will reduce the whole fabrication to a shapeless mass and he will probably regret the three francs which he has spent on the purchase it is the french jew who is especially clever at dealing with old hats which he buys from the chiffonnier at eight sous apiece and sells at a considerable profit for the sum above mentioned stockings you can get as good stockings as anybody wants for three eightpence a pair says a poor woman living in holborn they gives a penny a pound for stockings at the rag shop and sells them at a eightpenny a leg and if you buys three legs you can make a first-rate pair of stockings good enough for any one 
but there comes a time in the existence of old clothes whatever the rank of life in which they started when they are too old and patched and faded and threadbare either for the dealers or the pawnbrokers in fact they are no longer clothes but rags and in this condition they find their way to the rag shops either directly or through the medium of the dust-cart it has been stated that not more than two-fifths of the rags in england are preserved and manufacturers are consequently obliged to import large quantities an expense which might be entirely spared to the country if people were more thrifty the london ragged school at one time started some of its boys with four trucks with the result that in nine months they had collected eighty-two tons of rags and other refuse and fifty thousand bottles it is reckoned that each six hundred houses would well supply one truck but the lancashire famine diverted all the rags in another direction and the attempt to collect them does not seem to have been made again in former days every thrifty housewife had a rag-bag into which were put not only rags but all the snippings which result from the process of cutting out and are now too often consigned to the fire some countries altogether forbid the export of rags and our chief supplies are drawn from italy and germany of which we are large customers all old woollen clothes come to the soil at last being extremely valuable as manure the early broccoli grown in the west of cornwall thrive better on woollen rags than on anything else and hops of a certain quality cannot it is said be grown without them but good rags are so valuable for other purposes besides these that it is chiefly the seams and other unusable parts which are put away to rot and then sent to the kentish hop fields but for the fact that old wool can be used again all our woollen goods would be double the present price for one-third of the manufactures of this country are supplied by shoddy and mungo that is wool and worsted no matter how old which are reduced to their former state and then rewoven in eighteen eighty two we imported thirty seven thousand five hundred and eleven tons of woollen rags at a cost of eight hundred and twenty thousand six hundred and sixteen pounds most of them are bought up by dewsbury and two or three neighbouring towns where they are torn to pieces by sharp spikes and worked up into cheap cloth for the slaves of south america or re-spun with the addition of new wool and manufactured into all kinds of woollen goods the devil's dust as it is called after the machine employed for this purpose which is produced by the tearing up of the rags befouls the whole town of dewsbury and is so injurious to the workpeople engaged in the factories that they are obliged to keep their mouths muffled some of the rags are ground to powder variously coloured and used for the making of flock papers and artificial flowers some are taken by the paper mills and made into blotting and other papers of an absorbent character and some again after being boiled with pearl-ash horns hoofs hoof and hide clippings blood old iron waste leather etc reappear in the form of yellow crystals of prussiate of potash used in dyeing and from this again the beautiful colour known as prussian blue is manufactured rags of all kinds are in great demand for the paper mills many of which use more than thirty tons a week all are welcome 
whether silk wool linen cambric lace holland fustian corduroy bagging canvas and even though these cannot be called rags old ropes in fact almost any species of tough fibre even the roots and bine of hops vine tendrils cabbage stalks and straw may be made into paper straw alone makes the paper too brittle to be serviceable unless the silica contained in it be destroyed but it is frequently mixed with other materials still it is not probable that anything will ever lessen the value of rags since they must needs go on accumulating and being disposed of in one way or another and are therefore to be had cheaper than anything else before they come to the mill it is necessary that the rags should be sorted that the paper-maker may know exactly of what the bulk is composed and determine its destination accordingly old rope being made into coarse brown paper and the refuse of the flax mills into tracing paper while the paper for banknotes is made from the best white linen footnote the tunics of the jewish priests are said to have been unravelled and used as wicks for the lamps during the feast of tabernacles End footnote. in eighteen eighty two we imported twenty one thousand two hundred tons of linen and cotton rags of very various degrees of cleanliness those from italy being lowest in the scale while some of the english ones are said to be so clean as to require no bleaching rags have one advantage besides their cheapness over all other materials in that the repeated washings which they have undergone while in use as wearing apparel are an excellent preparation for their conversion into paper the first thing done with them is to open all the seams take out any stray pins and needles and remove buttons which might injure the machinery or spoil the quality of the paper women are employed in this part of the business and they stand before horizontal frames covered with very coarse wire cloth and having a large knife fixed upright in the centre with the blade turned away from them the bulk of the rags are cut up by machinery but those intended for very fine paper are cut by hand into small pieces about four inches square by being drawn across the edge of the knife much of the dirt and sand passes through the wire cloth into a drawer below during this process the remainder is beaten out by machinery and the rags are then boiled with soda and lime clean white rags are said to yield from sixty five to eighty per cent of their weight in paper statistics for eighteen eighty four show that there were in that year three thousand nine hundred and eighty five mills in the world which together produced nearly seventeen and a half million hundredweights of paper of which the newspapers use about one-third but the rags have not come to an end of their career when worked up into paper for the paper itself may be used over and over again and clean waste paper yields from seventy-five to eighty per cent of its weight in new paper no paper we are told need be wasted since it has been found possible to remove even the stain of printing ink but still no doubt far more is consumed by cook and housemaid in the lighting of fires than is at all necessary a whole newspaper seems to be considered a by no means extravagant allowance for one fire by some people though it would light much better with one-fourth the quantity or even less there are many shops where newspapers are bought at the rate of a penny a pound 
which seems to be a protest against waste but it must be confessed that there is not much encouragement to people to save their waste paper at present in spite of the alluring advertisements offering to buy it up in the country where space is less valuable room may be found for two or three sacks perhaps in an outhouse and then it may be worth while to send them periodically to paper mills or other buyers but in london one sack is about as much as most people can accommodate and for this two or three shillings repayable when the sack is returned have to be deposited it takes a long time really to fill a sack and when filled and fetched away it not unfrequently happens that a note is received saying that the value of the paper just balances the expense of fetching it and this even when the distance is less than a ten minutes walk people who have had such an experience as this which is not uncommon will certainly not care to take the trouble of making another collection or to give up the space needed for the sack but no doubt many would be glad to give away the accumulations from their waste paper baskets etc if only someone would call for them periodically meanwhile however large quantities of waste paper do find their way back to the paper mills to be remade either into paper or papier mache in which latter manufacture no paper of any kind comes amiss tons of old account books bankers books and of ledgers cuttings of bookbinders of pasteboard makers of envelope and pocket bookmakers of print sellers of paper hangers etc are disposed of for this purpose and reappear as cornices picture frames bulkheads cabin partitions pianoforte cases chairs tables etc not to mention the thousands of little fancy articles which are made of papier-mâché there are three kinds of papier-mâché a sort of pasteboard in which sheets of paper are merely pasted together which is much used for tea-trays a more solid kind in which the paper is pressed until it becomes hard enough to take a polish and a third variety in which the paper is reduced to a pulp in which condition it may be moulded into any shape that may be desired paper in the form of papier-mâché is daily being applied to fresh uses not long ago a daily paper announced that a factory chimney had been made of it in america it has been used for the rails of railroads the pulp being it is said as solid as metal much more durable and less influenced by atmospheric changes than iron or steel pasteboard wheels made of equal parts of wood pulp and straw have been used exclusively for many years past by the pullman palace car company much waste paper finds its way to the dust contractor's yard where it becomes the property of the moulder at least in some yards for the regulations are not quite the same everywhere the moulder is the foreman of the yard he pays the sifters himself and makes his own profits out of the paper rags bones glass iron metal of all sorts string and corks the contractor has the hard and soft core and the coals and cinders the hard core consisting of broken crockery earthenware oyster shells etc is sold for road-making but is now frequently unsaleable and has to be got rid of at a loss the soft core 
consisting of all sorts of organic matter refuse from fish shops greengrocers etc is sold for manure and the veritable dust or soil which is as fine as gunpowder is said to be especially useful for cultivating marshlands and clover and was at one time so much sought after by farmers that shiploads of it were brought from the north some of it is also bought by the brickmakers to mix with clay rags are not sorted in the yard but sold in the lump to a jew the largest cinders and the coals are bought by lawn dresses and braziers the smaller called breeze by the brickmakers who use them as fuel to burn between the layers of bricks in some yards the sifters are allowed to take wood corks and a daily quantity of cinders as their perquisites the allowance of the latter being so liberal that little markets are frequently held at the entrance to the yard where the poor of the neighbourhood come to buy cheap fuel in some places the women are also allowed pill-boxes and gallipots and any crockery that can be matched and mended and they may also appropriate the skins of dead cats cat skins are worth from fourpence to sixpence the highest price being given for white skins they are used not only as fur dyed or undyed but are made into a sort of velvet which has a very good appearance and cat and rabbit skins are also converted into felt hats the fashion of fur tippets has in all likelihood considerably raised the value of skins hare and rabbit skins do not usually find their way into the dustbin but are bought up by dealers in this particular kind of refuse people in england do not make nearly as much use of them as their neighbours and export two-thirds of them that is eight or nine million a year to germany france and belgium hare skins are much valued as chest preservers and fetch from eighteen shillings and sixpence to twenty-eight shillings the hundred dust sifting is necessarily a very rough and dirty occupation but the wages are not bad being from eight shillings to ten shillings a week in money besides the perquisites and the health of the dust women is said to be exceptionally good in one large yard during the prevalence of cholera and smallpox not a single person engaged there was even attacked the constant living in the open air and the fact that they are obliged to use a good deal of soap and water no doubt has much to do with their good health corks are recut or used in the making of camtulican floor-cloth in paris old corks are collected from the seine washed recut and sold at a few sous the hundred waste cork that which is too rough for cork-making finds its use as floats for fishermen and the stuffing of horse-collars old boots and shoes go first to the translators who patch them till they can be patched no more and then they are boiled down into glue a daily paper sometime since gave curious statistics on the subject of old boots and shoes which had been brought to light in the course of inquiries instituted in new york by the superintendent of the census in new york and brooklyn about three million pairs of old shoes are thrown away every year and used to be plentiful in the gutters in some parts they have now become scarce however as they are diligently picked up and used for three purposes those which are not too far gone are patched and greased and sold to the people who deal in such goods 
many folk wear one shoe much more than the other and the dealers find pairs for the odd ones the shoes not worth patching are cut up and the good bits are used for patching other shoes while all the worthless parts are converted into jamaica rum by a process known only to the manufacturers it is said they are boiled in pure spirits and allowed to stand for a few weeks and that the product far surpasses rum made in the ordinary way broken glass of all kinds always finds a ready market and may reappear on our tables over and over again for in making glass it is usual to melt the materials together with a quarter or half their weight of cullet or broken glass of the same kind so that many hundred tons are wanted in the course of the year of late moreover the coarsest kinds of broken glass have had another destiny opened up to them being bought by a manufacturer mr rust who melts them down colours the paste any tint he chooses by a secret process of his own and when it is cold breaks it into irregular fragments of various sizes with which he produces very effective mosaics for the decoration of shops and other buildings and as the materials are cheap he is able to sell them at prices much below those at which any other mosaics can be bought broken bottles are also ground up to make glass paper the common kinds are made of the coarsest materials of which rough sand and soap as waste are some of the principal dirty water and soap suds from laundries are used for watering gardens or the grease is recovered and turned into soap again the water in which fleeces have been washed yields fatty salts called swint from which potash salts are made and also soap used in scouring woollen manufactures bones are the only other considerable item which come under the head of household refuse in russia they are either exported or simply wasted that is so far as man is concerned being left to nature to dispose of at her leisure in more civilized countries they are put to a variety of uses the majority of them going first to the bone boilers to have the animal matter oil and gelatin extracted simply ground to dust they form a valuable manure and are imported in quantities from australia in the shape of bone dust tiles as bone meal they are used for feeding cattle at a large dyeing establishment in manchester bones are boiled for the sake of the gelatin or size which is used for stiffening goods the fat is sold to the candle makers and size liquor and bones are bought for manure after boiling and bleaching processes which render them more brittle than before bones may go on to the turner to be made into knife handles tooth and nail brushes buttons and the like bone black or animal charcoal as it is popularly but improperly called is made by burning bones in closed vessels from it is made the ivory black of the artist and it is also used in the manufacture of blacking bone charcoal is employed for refining sugar and is so absorbent that it will take all the colour out of treacle or sugar water coloured with indigo leaving them quite white the charcoal may be used over and over again by washing and heating and when finally exhausted for refining purposes is used for manure and the manufacture of phosphorus a word must be said about the old tin and ironware 
kettles pots and pans etc which are sometimes consigned to the dustbin the tin soldier business seems to be confined to the continent in england the best parts of an ancient tin kettle are clipped out cut into shape punched with holes blacked and varnished and used to strengthen the edges and corners of cheap trunks old iron may of course be melted down but before this happens it frequently takes a voyage as ballast and large shiploads of frying-pans gridirons saucepans candlesticks tea-trays boilers shovels old corrugated iron roofing the produce of the old iron shops and the findings of the thames mudlarks are sent off to the united states and the continent our exports of this description reached a hundred and thirty two thousand and thirty three tons in eighteen eighty two and were valued at five hundred and seven thousand one hundred and sixty one pounds saucepans and frying-pans naturally lead one to think of food and in concluding our notice of household refuse we may mention a curious market held at the al centrale in paris for the sale of broken meat of all kinds which was described at length by the correspondent of the london daily telegraph in eighteen seventy eight Quote, the fragments which form the jewellery of the al centrale are brought down in big baskets between seven and eight every morning by the garcons of the great boulevard restaurants or by the larbins from the hotels of the ministers or the foreign ambassadors if a grand dinner has been given the night before at one of the embassies the show of jewellery in the morning will be magnificent there will be whole turkeys and fowls hams and boars heads which have been scarcely touched displayed upon the deal boards out of the season the supply comes chiefly from the leading restaurants where the leavings are the perquisites of the waiters some dealers and they are nearly always women have a yearly contract with particular restaurants some arrange the goods themselves others feeling that it is a matter of importance and that they do not possess the requisite taste and skill engage a professional hand to do it for them the object of course is to make a very little seem a great deal and also to render the various portions as attractive to the eye as possible and the artists flit from stall to stall giving here and there a touch of green in the shape of spinach or brussels sprout or of red in the form of carrot or tomato adding a morsel of blancmange here a bit of pie-crust there and so on until each portion looks as it should the portions are arranged on quarter sheets of old newspapers and vary in price from two sous upwards as a sample imagine a pile consisting of the leg of a partridge the remnants of an omelette the tail of a fried sole two ribs of a jugged hare a spoonful of haricot beans a scrap of fillet a cut pear a handful of salad a slice of tomato and a dab of jelly all to be had for five sous or twopence halfpenny the purchasers are not the cheap eating-houses as has been supposed but the quiet poor people who are ashamed to beg and but for the merciful cheapness of these appetising scraps would not taste meat from one month's end to another end of chapter seventeen